0: So with all the, the twists and turns and unexpected uh, things of, of life circumstantially, Lord, we, um, our confidence is in a God who is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. We trust You, Lord. We love Your sovereignty. We, we hope in Your wisdom and Your care and Your Involvement and your working things out in detail, um, weaving the best things and the hardest things together in such a way that for your children, for those who've been called according to your purpose, those who um, feel life awakened in their souls and have affection for you. Everything is, is woven together for, for our eternal well-being, and we love that, and we are strengthened by that, and we are stabilized in that, and we uh, hope in that today. And uh, Lord, in this time, we, we would want to hear your voice. We pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in such a way that the eyes of our hearts are opened and our 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 inner being is awakened to you to be attentive to and responsive to who you would be communicating yourself to be to us in this time that we have together now. Do this. Be glorified, we pray, as we've just sung. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I say it often. I say it often because it's a conviction. That it is those things which, um, have, those things which have had the most substantial impact in shaping us and forming us, who, forming who we are as individuals. They, they, they're not the books we read. Uh, they're not the classes we've taken, the degrees we've earned. the things that have contributed most to giving meaning. Defining who we are is not the formal education that we've received. Rather, the things that have contributed most to who we are and what we're becoming are mainly relational in nature. Uh, In other words, I am who I am today because of the experiences that I've had through the years, both positively and negatively, in relation to other people. It has also become my conviction that the experiences that have the most dramatic, significant impact on shaping our lives are not typically the highest uh, or the happiest. Rather, they tend to be the lowest and the darkest and the most hurtful, tragic experiences of our lives. Pain is a powerful and effective teacher. The lessons that pain teach us stay with us. And for those who are joined to Christ Jesus, suffering is God's engraving tool through which He forms us into the likeness of His Son. I don't think it's going too far to say that we are who we are Most significantly, because of suffering. Now, of course, pain and suffering can shape us, form us, in one of two different directions. They can can transform us into bitter, angry, resentful, self-pitying victims. Or they can direct us into a new measure of self-awareness and connect us with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in deeper ways than we've ever known before. There's another conviction that has been growing and taking hold of me these past few years, and it's based on an observation that for those, again, who are joined to Jesus, there is a remarkably consistent pattern that in the wake of those dark chapters of our lives... It is frequently common to witness and experience a season of uh, richer fruitfulness. In other words, our our best and most significant seasons of impact very often come after seasons of suffering. And I believe there's a reason for that. Our experiences of suffering have a way, if we're trained by them, of connecting us deeper into our relationship with the Lord. And the deeper we go in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by the ministry of the Spirit, our lives are characterized by significant internal growth and thereby greater external impact. When our inner lives have been enlarged, excavated, if you will, through the endurance of hard things, that enlarged space is then filled with even more of the fullness of God. And it would follow that more of God in us must display more of God outward from us. Now, if you're listening to all that and you're thinking, man, what has he been smoking? Um, not so fast with your conclusion. Because I, I believe that this is at the heart of Jesus' teaching and at the heart particularly of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-5 through 5, and this beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle Matthew starts chapter 5 with the words seeing the crowds. So a lot of people had gotten on the Jesus bandwagon, and understandably so, he'd gotten their attention by announcing this radical message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, God is asserting himself. He's acting in power and revealing his presence and authority putting on display His dominion in such a way that they had never seen before. And, and as to authenticate that message, Jesus is making God's active presence and power manifest by healing every disease and uh, every affliction among the people. And He spoke the words of the kingdom, and then He did the works of the kingdom. And therefore, His fame had spread in great crowds of people. Suffering people, people who were sick, people who were in pain, people oppressed by demons, people with seizures, people who were paralyzed, broken people. They all wanted a piece of Jesus. And Jesus saw them. He saw the crowds. But He also saw every life. He saw every heart. He saw every story, every timeline, with each and all of the highest high points and the lowest low points. He saw every critical event. He saw every personhood shaping experience. And when he sat, they sat. And when he opened his mouth, the first words he spoke were words of blessing. Blessed are you if you're poor in the Spirit. Blessed are you if you are mourning. Blessed are you if you are meek. Blessed, blessed. Blessed blessed, blessed are you. And the blessing here in what we know as the Beatitudes, um, it's not a word that communicates prosperity or ease, Uh, it it is not a word that communicates the elimination of trouble. Jesus is not communicating, everybody, hey, listen up, things are going to go good for you now. It's time to be awesome. Um, No, the the word for blessing here is a word about family. That is, it is a word about attachment. The blessing here has to do with a, a movement of God, by God, in a relational way toward His people. So, Here's Jesus, and he's he's connecting with people, people who who have the smell of the land on them, that out-of-doors smell on them. He is connecting with people who have, in other words, the smell of the world on them, the world that they live in. It's an earthy, raw, this is the real us kind of setting, no soap, there is no deodorant, there's no Febreze, no Italian showers, no sunscreen with shea butter, no wine and cheese baskets, no porta potties, no external pretense. It's just aud de natural. And Jesus in this setting then opens his mouth and speaks. Verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In spirit, um, we've considered that little phrase as of late. It it signifies, as we know, a a concept of the, the heart. And therefore, Jesus is not referring in this situation to economic impoverishment the word literally has to do with falling. Falling from one place to another. It has to do with being empty. Blessed are the fallen ones. Blessed are the emptied ones. The ones who used to feel so self-competent and have been broken and shattered. Blessed are the ones who've had their, their paradigm rocked, whose lives have been rocked and their neat and orderly lives do not work the way they once worked or the way they thought everything should work. These, these are, they had to have been arresting words for people who were actually sick, who were actually hurting, who were actually broken, fallen, and empty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And why? On on what ground are they blessed? What's the basis for this this blessedness? It says, for or because, here's the ground of their blessing, it's because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they are not blessed because everything is going to get better. They are not blessed because they're going to get fixed. They're blessed because their brokenness opens a way for them to connect with God and His kingship and His presence and His power and His reality in an entirely different way than they had been open to before. I think it would be a fair inference of this verse to say you know, if you really want to know God and connect deeply with Him, connect deeply into Him, you really must have suffered. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is not intended to be some like kind of a blanket categorical statement for everybody, anybody who is sad and grieving. Each one of these beatitudes is part of a, a string of related meaning. It's a kind of a chain. Of related meaning. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are mourning because they have fallen. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are mourning because they are broken and empty. They have fallen, they're broken, they're empty in a way that they cannot cover up or pretend that nothing happened. Uh, they, they have to look eyeball to eyeball with the effects and all the collateral damage their experience of brokenness has done to them. So, not only are they broken and fallen and empty, it's all gone public. And because it's gone public, there are perceptions there are judgments. And loved ones, this, um, this is cause for a, a different kind of a grief. It is a different kind of mourning. And, and this breaking as well as this mourning, um, it does a work in the one who is broken and grieving on account of it. We, we, we grieve over how our old system, it didn't work. We grieve because our old system didn't protect us the way we thought it would. It, it didn't come through for us as we expected it should. We grieve over this kind of a shattered illusion that we had our act together. We were the object of admiration and esteem. We were perceived with positive regard. And now we groan over the shattered illusion that we were self sufficient. And we ache over the shattered illusion that we were. Good Christians, and all those illusions have been peeled away, like pulling back the curtain and discovering that the great and powerful Oz doesn't have the ability to work miracles any more than anyone else. And so, we mourn. And and you know, this this kind of mourning is different. It's different than simply feeling shame and embarrassment. It's it's different not mainly or fundamentally because um, it's somehow worse in degree. It's different primarily because it's more productive. It's a blessed morning because it, it does a deeper work. It's a blessed morning because it leads to paraklethetes. Be impressed with that Greek pronunciation, if you would. Um, the word just simply means comfort, but really it a, has a literal meaning of, of the calling out, the klethetes of someone Longing for someone to come alongside. The paraclethetes. And it it just means someone calling out for someone to come alongside and to keep them from sinking. It's the same word that Peter used when he cries out to Jesus after he tried to walk on water. And it is a radically different comfort because it involves a radically different cry. Most of us, um, most of the time, uh, our mourning, our grieving over loss results in crying out uh, for a spiritual consultant. Lord, why didn't this work out the way we hoped? Couldn't you have accomplished your purpose in a different way? Explain this to me. Explain it. I need reasons. Why? Why? That's different. That is a different thing. Answers are nice. An explanation, a reason, some understanding of purpose is probably helpful. But it is not the same thing as being... Caught in freefall and then held by strong arms. That's different. The type of mourning that Jesus calls blessed is the kind that reveals that every last bit of self sufficiency is gone. Because then, that is, when every last bit of self-sufficiency is gone, we become attached. Connected into the Lord in a whole different way. Now, it probably goes without saying, but it's important that we just register that, you know, Jesus is, a, is not suggesting here some prescription for spiritual success or, or you know, some list of keys to follow for a more dynamic religious life. I mean, I don't know of anybody, I, don't, I would assume you don't know anybody either who has made brokenness now a part of their five-year personal, intentional, developmental plan. We, we don't know people who, okay, I'm going to now decide to be crushed, and then I'm going to achieve that by some strategic act of my own will. The kind of brokenness, the kind of fallenness, and therefore the kind of mourning and grief that Jesus is talking about here is not a choice. But it is a gift. It's a gift in that this kind of fallenness, this kind of helplessness, it reorients us. It is a gift in that it recalibrates us in our relationship to God. And it is powerful in shaping us for, then, deeper impact in the lives of others. Larry and I have a friend, a family friend, dear to us, all the way back from our early years of marriage. We used to live in the same house, together in the same house with with this family, our kid's played together when they were in those kindergarten, first grade years of innocence. And uh, we, a long period of time went by before we had crossed paths again, so we hadn't seen these friends um, uh, for for many years. We we missed living through together the the more challenging adolescent years, uh, the more daunting teenage years, and even the college age years. And so, so by the time we reconnected, um, both of our families had walked through, oh my, um, <laughs> we'd walked through our respective share of heartaches and disappointments and shattered dreams. And uh, in this, after a long period, reconnection, our friend made this very insightful tender-hearted, sage-like observation. When you turn middle-aged, you're not so glib. And those of you who are now on the downslope of life, I'm sure you know exactly what that means. We're not so glib. We used to be. Had all the answers, you know, one plus one always equals two. Proverbs kind of a life, certainly not an Ecclesiastes kind of a life, we're just just not so glib. And we are most definitely not as glib as we once were, and and that is a good thing, because it means, I, I believe, at least I hope, that because we're not so glib, we're just an awful lot safer to be around. Not so hard. And that's because the brokenness of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 leads to the kind of mourning of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which leads to becoming the kind of people Jesus then describes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That must have just rocked. <laughs> The suffering people sitting on that mountainside. Their paradigm couldn't couldn't have been that much different than ours, right? I mean, just give us a stick bigger than the Roman stick and we'll settle things and we'll see who rules the world. Come on. You know, what's the pattern of the world that you live and work and have your being in? Who has the most power? Who who has the most impact? Who wields the most influence? Isn't it the ones with the most competence? It's the most competent ones that inherit the world. It's the ones with the most high-powered network that inherit the world. Maybe it's the ones who are young, scrappy, and hungry. They're the ones that now inherit the world. Or maybe it's the one with the strongest personality. They can just assert themselves. Make it happen. Jesus says that the ones who will inherit the earth, those who will wield the most influence, are the meek. And by meek, do not misunderstand. He is not talking about some, you know, limp-wristed, soft-talking, milk-toast pansy, try-to-come-off-humble poser. The meek in this case, are the ones with the bloodstains of their broken, fallen emptiness on them. The meek are the ones who ultimately, they have nothing to lose. There is a leader um, who I know, um, he is someone who people would not normally associate with brokenness or emptiness. He leads an entire movement. Um, Some would probably even at a distance not consider him to be all that meek. But for those who know him best and know the depths of the personal suffering he has endured, uh, they know differently. And I I heard him speak um, boy, just not that long ago, um, and um, I heard him testify carefully, uh, appropriately, (laughs) in that setting, uh, but yet transparently uh, and so vulnerably in his weaknesses. And as he communicated his own journey through painful things, it was, it was remarkable to, to watch the body language in the room where there was several thousand people and everybody's just leaning forward. Uh, so attentive. To hear words, authoritative words, um, that were the expression of a heart um, shaped by God's comfort. Comfort that had reached into a grieving soul, a soul made tender in the crucible of unplanned suffering. People want to hear people like that. People want to hear from those who have suffered and have been trained by it. Those who have suffered have something to say. It is the meek who are, are blessed with the whole earth as their inheritance. When they tell their story, everybody listens. Emmaus Road Church has existed now for nearly five and a half years, and um, in our short history, (laughs) what a story God has written. Uh, Emmaus Road Church and her people. Loved ones, we are God's workmanship. Remember that word? Ephesians 2.10? We are God's poema. We are His epic poem. And though our story... Individually, collectively, is unfolding here in time and space. God is not writing this story as it goes along. God has crafted this epic poem in advance. Along with every loss and every pain. Every sorrow is essential in how it is shaping us and forming us for his gospel purpose. Just look at what God is producing in you and through you. Hear Jesus speak to you again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A meek congregation is a safe place of healing impact for the broken, for the failures, for those who don't have a prayer except, please catch me or I am gone. As well as for Christians who sin, who sin and are run ragged trying to keep their religious image intact. Or even for unbelievers who need a legitimate exhibit of what hope and redemption really looks like. You know, I I would never wish for your brokenness or for mine, um, nor could I ever call you to or to invite you to mourning or authentic meekness It's not ours to to call for or to give. Only God can write these blessings into the story of our lives. But I can invite you to express to the Lord your trust in, your desire for, your esteem for every way that He would see fit to make His soul-redeeming love manifest in you and through you, both individually and corporately, for the sake of His glory. And that's what I do.